Hi, this is Robert Helms, and thanks for listening to the Real Estate Guys podcast. Hey, do me a favor. Take a quick moment to give us some feedback on our iTunes page. We'd really love to know what you think. Thanks so much. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. It is early June 2010, and all over the news, it says the housing market is rebounding. It is, isn't it? That's what we'll talk about today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Hi, this is Robert Helms. As a real estate investor, you know you need to be concerned about asset protection. When an investor asks me about the litigation explosion in America and what they can do to better protect their real estate assets, I like to refer them to Corporate Direct. Equity happens, but it can be limited without solid asset protection in place. And Corporate Direct protects your assets. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by Garrett Sutton. He's an attorney, best-selling author, and one of Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Advisors. Garrett and his staff are knowledgeable, helpful, and surprisingly affordable. And I know, I've used Corporate Direct and have been exceedingly satisfied with their service. They're on the web at CorporateDirect.com, or you can call them at 1-800-600-1760. That's CorporateDirect.com, or 1-800-600-1760. You know you need asset protection for your real estate, so visit CorporateDirect.com, or 1-800-600-1760. Find them on the resource page at RealEstateGuysRadio.com. That's CorporateDirect.com. Hi, this is Kim Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Woman, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Well, hello and welcome to The Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Today, we're going to talk about uh, all the news about the housing market and the comeback and the bounce back and the next dip and all of that. And speaking of dips, let's meet our guys, <laughs> our financial uh, strategist, co-host, uh, Russell Gray. I am the double dip. And uh, the man we call the godfather of real estate. He's been investing in uh, ups and downs in real estate in seven different decades now, Bob Helms. Dipping up and down for several decades. Yes, Very it's fun. true. Well, you know, this uh, this week a lot of news has come out, right? Uh, we saw that the stock market was up a couple of days because of great news in the housing industry and and new housing starts are up. Builder confidence is at the highest it's been in, in months. Pending sales are up. So I guess uh, we're out of the woods, huh? Well, that's what they say. And, you know, I think that if you continue to watch things, uh, the predictions are that things are either going to get better or worse. Yes, that's guaranteed. Uh, interest rates, I know, are predicted to either rise or decline in the future. The basic question is they're up compared to what? you got to really look at the time frames. you got to look at absolute amounts. This is a fascinating topic, which we could talk about for hours, but it'll be fun today. Well, we have less than an hour to go, so uh, so let's talk about it. We want to kind of go through what some of the things that have been said in the news. It's a very timely uh, the show. If you're listening uh, afterwards, you're one of those folks that likes to download our show and save it on your device for years and listen. Uh, this may not be timely now, but uh, here we are uh, at the beginning of June 2010, and uh, all over the news this last week, uh, we saw uh, some mostly good news about uh, the housing market. Of course, we've seen the worst decline uh, in prices and in sales that we've seen uh, in our lifetimes, certainly. Uh, well, maybe not Bob, but certainly in our lifetimes, Russ, uh, and uh, many of our <laughs> listeners. But there's been some encouraging news, and so we want to go over what some of that is. But then there's also the reality check, because there are some headlines that are not so positive as well. It's a very balanced approach we have uh, uh, to the, the media. I guess uh, some of the first uh, news that we have is that prices are up. We haven't seen that much uh, in the last uh, few uh, months. There's certain markets that sales are up, the number of sales up. When you read the, the news and you read statistics about housing, first of all, understand that they're almost always talking about single-family residential homes. They're not talking about multifamily or commercial or any of that, although you see those headlines, but for the most part, when we talk about prices, uh, and then we're looking at either is it the change in price of homes or the number of sales. And so uh, a report came out regarding the first quarter of 2010 that for the first time, we've seen uh, a majority of MSAs, Metropolitan Statistical Areas, increase in value. 91 of 152 MSAs showed higher median existing single-family home prices in comparison with the first quarter of last year, 2009, including 29 MSAs with double-digit increases in a year. That is good news. You know, you have to be careful when you look at statistics because there's another headline out there that talks about how luxury home sales have come up. And when you look at the median home price, you start throwing in some higher priced homes. It can pull that median up, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the same house 
year over year has actually gone up in value. Well, the other part of this is that you look at that and go, wow, prices are up. Well, yeah, but as Bob said earlier, compared to what? They're down now on average more than 40% across the country. Some markets way, way more than that, some some less. Uh, and so now that lots of markets have gone down for so long, sales are increasing, prices are starting to eke up, and in 29 markets at least, up double digit. It's a famous thing in the stocks, you know, you have uh, the CEOs come out and they set their projections and all that. And, uh, you know, you try to sandbag a little bit, right? So if you're coming off uh, a bad year or you're going to put all your bad news into one place and then then you're going to project forward and then you're going to try to beat those numbers. Well, you know, obviously you can't manipulate the numbers quite the way you can when you're running a company when it comes to real estate. But the, but to your point, Robert, uh, we've gone through probably two or three of arguably the worst years, at least in our lifetimes, of real estate pricing dropping like we've never seen before. And so when you say it's up year over year, well, you know, the old thing you always say is compared to what? Up from where? Uh, obviously, it's a good sign. And I think that's the first sign that people start to look for is, okay, if we're not at the very bottom, are we near the bottom? And if we are near the bottom, the good news is, is that interest rates are still extremely low and there's still a lot of uh, money available if you qualify to be able to buy in certain product types. So the big question now is, what are you going to do about it, right? I mean, well, I don't think we're ready to ask that question yet. we got a lot to cover before we jump to the conclusions <laughs> here. Uh, it's not just a three-minute podcast. We we have an hour. So I want to cover what some of the various sources are saying. NAR came out with the report June 2nd. Pending home sales surge uh, is continuing for the third month in a row. We've seen prices and sales rise in many marketplaces. Uh, pending home sales, the number of sales have risen for three consecutive months, reflecting the broad impact of the home buyer tax credit and favorable housing aff- affordability conditions, uh, which you mentioned. Interest rate isn't only one. Obviously, if prices are down uh, and uh, incomes are not down as much, then affordability goes up, and affordability has been going up. Uh, they talk about the pending home sales index, uh, which is a forward-looking indicator, and it rose six points, uh, six percentage points uh, again. Uh, and this is based on contracts signed in April. Now, of course, the tax credit had a lot to do with this. The tax credit expired at the end of April, and so the information that is just coming out now in June is for the April sales periods. And so we saw a, a big rush, and a lot of the experts are predicting that we'll see a decrease uh, in May and actually already have seen an, a, a decrease in May. And that goes kind of without saying, right? We had this big push to get in under the home sale. Now, some really interesting statistics about uh, this whole program, the tax credit. There were 4.4 million home buyers that were eligible for the tax credit, people who bought in uh, that time period. About two-thirds were first-time home buyers. And the first time there was the federal tax credit was only for first-time buyers. Right. The second time, it was also for move-up buyers, or uh, people that have bought before. So of the 4.4 million, two-thirds were first-time buyers approximately, and the rest, a third, were repeat buyers. One million of those 4.4 million uh, buyers approximately would not have entered the market without the tax credit. So they absolutely bought because of it. However, 3.4 million would have bought anyway. So according to NAR, $30 billion of the tax credit was wasted on people that would have bought homes anyway. However, it goes on to say that if you look at the uh, 1 million additional buyers, what did that do? Well, that's 1 million less homes in the market. It reduced the month supply, how much months of inventory, a very important metric, right? And that's basically in in a given marketplace. If we were to quit listing houses at today's existing demand, how long would it take? How many months of supply are there? Well, those million dollars, those million homes that came off the market reduced the month supply uh, between two and two and a half months. That's significant. Also, the price, because of the the credit, it also salvaged some pricing, which I think is an important point. I'm still tripping out on the $30 billion that was wasted. I'm sure the families that got that tax credit don't feel like it was wasted. I mean, if it's a tax credit, isn't that like you getting your own money back and then you can go spend it how you want to? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so what a waste. Uh, yeah, what a waste that you would actually just be reporting able to spend here. your own money. Sorry, you had a little commentary there. So, uh, and builder home confidence continues to, to go up. Uh, but the the real question is is the return on investment. I mean, they were literally saving trillions of dollars of value by the fact that the prices uh, were stabilized because of this extra million dollar homes. And so, based on an investment or a savings of thirty billion dollars. 
that doesn't sound so bad to me. Yeah, I mean, well, we're, we're definitely going granular here because there's so much information in the news about this. But the one thing that we've always talked about and the reason we like real estate, especially bread and butter real estate, residential real estate, uh, especially for the beginning investor, is because there is so much political and economic support. When the housing crisis hit, we saw huge amounts of resources being uh, deployed in order to try to prop it up. And it's been an ongoing operation here for the last three years and we're finally seeing some of these props if you will that they've stuck underneath the market uh, beginning to take hold and the big question is really if you've propped the thing up like splinting a broken bone is it at the point now where it's healed enough where you begin to take some of these things away remove this the the tax credit will the market kind of keep moving on its own you know we put some stimulus into certain industries will those industries begin to come back we got the auto industry for example and and you know we've had record auto sales well okay so we saved the industry uh, now are we going to be able to see that happen? We've got the, the Fed has come in and lowered interest rates and committed to keeping interest rates down for what seems to be an extended period of time. They say inflation is really not the issue right now. We're much more concerned about deflation, so we're going to keep loose money. At some point, though, they're going to have to normalize the interest rates, and when that begins to happen, will the economy have enough legs underneath it? So this is the thing we're really watching, but housing is so integral, and that's why the stock market, when they see movement in the housing market that looks positive, stock market gets excited, and you see it begin to move. Uh, normally, when the stock market goes up, you see interest rates go up, too, and we didn't see that. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, new housing starts. Uh, obviously, where builder confidence is, is crucial, the Census Bureau and the Department of Housing and Urban Development uh, jointly uh, issued uh, a report that uh, private-owned housing units authorized by building permits in April were at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of about 600000 uh, which is up 15.9% over the April 2009 estimates. So year-over-year year, up 15%, down about 11% from March but still good uh, new housing numbers. What about builder home confidence? Builder confidence hits a two and a half year high in May. Again, we've talked about this on the show that, that they have a, a confidence rating from one to 100 and anything above 50 is positive, anything below is negative. And it was down there in the single digits for a long time. But now home builder confidence is up. And wouldn't you think so? If units are moving, builders are gonna be more likely to, uh, to pull the trigger on new developments. I think it relates to the overall picture of the confidence of the consumer. And, and this is really what is going to sustain and drive the market. But the, it's very subtle. How do you arrive at that? What are the pieces of it? Now, I miss some of that early stuff. I miss the downturn in 1911. I wasn't here for that. Just barely missed it, but oh, okay. I did. So, you know, <laughs> things you were... heard about it around the campfire. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that was very different in 1911 was the change in the ability to communicate. People didn't have the information that we've got today, and they didn't have it instantaneously. And luckily, perhaps, they didn't have 4,000 opinions on any given subject. But it was a different mentality. Everybody could see that it was bad, it was terrible, etc. Anyhow, let's, let's explore some things about confidence as we go on, because that's a key, I think, to where this is going. All right. We've also uh, been covering some of the more rosy headlines. We've got uh, the other side to uh, look at when we come back. We're going to uh, share that with you and also stay with us today because in a little bit, you're going to have a chance to uh, win a prize uh, with today's uh, real estate uh, trivia question. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Hi, this is Russell Gray. I say do the math and the math will tell you what to do. Tony Robbins says success leaves clues. Put those together and you have Paradigm Life. Let Paradigm Life show you how and why wealthy individuals and multi-billion dollar companies use life insurance to grow and protect their assets. You'll be amazed. For a free report, send an email to life at realestateguysradio.com or visit beyourbank.com. I'm Jordan Goodman, author of Master Your Debt, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We're on this fine radio station uh, every uh, weekend and all the time at realestateguysradio.com. If you missed the show, that's the place to uh, check it out. You also can subscribe to our podcast, and uh, we'll come to you uh, every week. And many of you do that, and uh, we know who you are. That's the thing about the, the changing, uh, as you were mentioning, Bob, in terms of access to information. I mean, in the old days, when we first started our radio show over 13 years ago, it was like people would say, how many listeners do you have? Well, a, 
I don't know. I think my dad listens. Right? You know, there was no way to tell. Today, by podcast, we know exactly how many people download our show, and we we appreciate both of them. Yeah, exactly. No, thousands, thousands of people in dozens of countries today download our show, and we know those people who have raised up their hand and said, I'm interested in the topic, whereas the old model in, in radio was you just drive by and whatever you tune into, you happen to maybe catch a conversation. So there is a lot more information, both good and bad. You know, we're uh, in preparing for the show, we're looking at uh, different news sources, and, and Russ does this every single day, but uh, I'm on one page here where I, I search for home prices 2010, and I get four articles. Here they are. Housing prices forecast to fall in 2010 and could keep falling, right? So we're not going to go into the details of the article, but that's the first one. Second one, buy now, home prices sure to rise in 2010. All right, here's one. U.S. home prices may drop well into 2010 or longer, and then 10 reasons to buy a home before 2010. So it's all over the map. Now, when we look at some of the other news that's out there and and some of the things we've been looking at, there is another article about purchase demand. Purchase demand in a free fall. The housing industry is unraveling. And it goes on to say that we're seeing a record lows after the uh, stimulus, after the the tax credit, uh, in a lot of marketplaces that uh, there's still inventory and we're not seeing as many buyers. Well, I think that's one of the keys for sure. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of noise out there, so you're understanding of basic principles is crucial and context and how it relates to you. I think the other big thing is, you know, in certain markets, it always comes down to certain markets. It always comes down to which markets you're in, what product type you're in, what neighborhood you're in, and then how that applies to you and your personal uh, financial situation and your personal investment philosophy. But there's no lack of, of data out there. And I think one thing that I've always appreciated about you, Robert, when you taught the due diligence class, you always talked about the importance of going back to the source. Because you'll see people, especially these days with people blogging and people reporting things second, third, fourth, fifth hand. You know, the old days, it used to be that you would read something in the newspaper and you felt that the newspaper had a fact-checking group and someone's going to do something and someone's going to go check the fact. And there was a certain level of integrity that was expected. I think with the competition in just general information and news, a lot of that has gone out. And obviously in the internet, there's there's no fact-checking. I mean, and so you have to know who you're listening to. And then when they say something, I think that that isn't conclusive. I think that's the beginning of your investigation. And Crucial. then you got to go dig and you've got to find out, is that fact really a fact? And is it sourced from someone who has any degree of credibility and is qualified to have an opinion and to deliver the information? Well, to your point, I read an article that said that uh, new housing starts were uh, up year over year, according to a report by the U.S. Census Bureau out this week. So immediately, what do I do? I go find that report. It's great to hear a journalist's interpretation of the report, and that's right. a good start. And with most people's time, that's maybe enough, just a soundbite here, soundbite there. But for me, I want to go back and I want to see what does the report actually say. Because when you read an article, it was written by a journalist, typically, by the way, who earns less than $50,000 a year and rents an apartment. Just for perspective, right? That's normally who you read uh, articles by. And they've done research. They've read this report. They've read that report. And they've tried to distill down of this 10-page or 100-page report what the salient facts are for them and their audience. Now, for me, they might not be the facts that, that, you know, they're reporting that X, Y, Z and happened. Well, that's interesting. I go read the report and I go, well, yeah, X, Y, and Z. But the list started at A and worked its way down to X, Y, and Z. And that journalist, for whatever reason, called that information out and said it was important. I'd like to have the less biased, not unbiased, but less biased information, if at all possible. Right. I mean, how many times do you see a headline that screams out something, which, you know, is really code for read me, and then you read it, and then you read down into the article, and maybe three, four paragraphs in, you find something that really either softens the blow or completely contradicts what it said. And I get that, right? Because you got to capture people's attention. The whole society has ADD, and when you've got so much information, you've got to write compelling headlines. I get that. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is exactly the truth. You've got to grab their attention, and, and that's what media is about. Not just printed media, but new media. It's all about grabbing uh, your attention. After every show, we try to figure out a title of the show that's going to make sense so a listener can look at that title and in a few words decide if that's a topic they, they want to cover. Now, we don't like to use a lot of hype and a lot of information like that, but if we just said, you know, pending headlines for the week of June X, you might not be interested in that. Boring. Boring. And so there is that 
angle of it. But there's also the fact that many of these reports are either difficult to access or they cost money. Many times the, the information about the housing industry all comes from construction-related uh, uh, magazines and, and publications, and they issue these reports. One of the reports that comes out quarterly is $750. So I read an article that says the report states this, this, and this. I have to decide, is it worth $750 to, to read the report? Or should instead you start your own radio show and then be able to access it as press? Perfect. Yes, there's a good answer, right? So it just, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of information there. And, and in this day and age, there are so many different things going on in the different sectors that you've got to hone in on what are the sectors you're interested in and then where's the likelihood for opportunity. We'll talk about that more as, as we get in the second half of the show, but we still have lots more headlines. A couple international headlines uh, this week. British Columbian real estate uh, markets are cool, which is interesting. This is that new figures show real estate market is cooling off across Canada, including the previously hot markets in BC and Metro Vancouver. This goes on to say that the survey done by this Canadian Real Estate Association revealed, so I went and saw the survey, and it says in addition to uh, some information about specific marketplaces that overall home sales are down more than 30 percent from the high levels in in uh, across uh, that sector of Canada and so there were some pretty decent uh, Canadian marketplaces now the article talks about some speculation about since Vancouver was the site of the Olympics was that creating a abnormal demand and surge of course we talked about on our show how ironically during the Winter Olympics that the Olympic Village was in foreclosure so, you know, that was an interesting angle of the story. You didn't hear NBC talking about that. But it also, here's an uh, indication uh, or an article that came out about um, China, a reversal of fortunes in China. It came out on June 1st, talking about uh, the reasons that the market has gone up and that how high that real estate market has gone in a short period of time. And, of course, when's the shoe going to drop? Right. I've, I've got something here also on uh, May 26th. An article came out. It says, recovery in developed economies gathering pace, meaning... This is a group in Paris, and they're saying that economic recovery in the world's richest countries is accelerating thanks to a rebound in trade and growth in Asia. And we've been talking for a long time on this show about how important it is we pay attention to what's going on in Asia, particularly what's going on in China, because how much of our debt they buy in the U.S. affects our interest rates and availability of capital. Obviously, how much business that we do in terms of a trade imbalance has uh, affects how much debt we go into and how much bonds we need to offer. And that also has a direct effect on interest rates and what you pay for a mortgage and how much money is available capital for unemployment. And, of course, we've seen what's gone on with the whole crisis in the euro and everybody's sitting here nervous, a stock market way up on the euro, way down on the euro, way up on the euro, way down on the euro. And so the point of all that is, is there's no way to look at a group of headlines as a real estate investor and think it's just a little mom and pop ho-hum, I'm going to buy this property here somewhere and not pay attention to what's going on around the world. That's the bad news. The good news is, to the point we've been making, is there's so much information available. Good and bad. Good and bad. You can pay attention to it. But it really needs you need to be quite a bit more sophisticated than you were buying real estate 50 years ago. Well, and there's things we look at you might not think about, like pickup trucks. Go ahead. Yeah. Read the article. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah. You're going to enjoy me, this. Yeah, this is me, definitely yeah, yeah, uh, this. one of the prime indicators of uh, the real estate market. Now, we say that a little bit in jest, but you never know. Like in the due diligence class, we talk about looking at the one-way rental rates at U-Haul. It's absolutely illuminating to look at one-way rental rates from one market to another market and then back the other way. If they're close in terms of the rate that U-Haul charges for a rental truck, then you know there's a fairly uh, even balance between people leaving and, and entering. But in many cases, they are drastically different. One I talked about a few weeks ago, three times as much to rent one direction than, than the other. Did you find it? Well, no, but I remember it. So this, so this article interviews the CEO of AutoNation, and it says the pickup factor, the pickup truck factor shows uh, an indication that the economy is improving. And it said that a significant number of pickup trucks were purchased, and it was like 46% of their sales or something like that. It was a huge increase. And the significance of that was that the small business person is primarily the buyer of pickup trucks and so if if small business people are investing in capital equipment which basically is buying the truck and they really represent the kind of the heart and soul the heartbeat of small business in america they're saying that the fact that pickup trucks are picking up without the cash flow clunkers benefit means that uh, that is a very bullish indication that small business is beginning to feel like they're, they're ready to go out and expand. And so right. that's a good thing for the economy. Bob, make a note to uh, check out uh, sales of ladders and flashlights as well. <laughs> I think I that's important those. stuff. You know, you, you got to look at the whole picture. Uh, it, it's interesting when we look at statistics and what people report, because the media is trying to 
to give you a clue, and they're trying to get your attention. And uh, I found an article that was very interesting about high-end real estate in Northern California. It was an article about a little town called Los Altos, which is an affluent, lovely little town. And they were kind of quoting statistics for from the year, beginning of the year till now. And an interesting thing, they, uh, I want you to, to go over this because it just kind of relates. Their subject was that the houses over a million dollars, the average price had increased. Now, what's funny about that is this. They sold 81 houses during that period, and the highest price house last year compared to this year went up from $3.6 million to $5.6 million. What's my point? $2 million difference in that house divided by 81 houses is less than the amount the average went up from 1.49 to 1.5 million. So if you just got the one factor that the average price was going up, that would give you a clue. Right. But it, but it went up on one house. So, to Russ's point about median <laughs> home earlier, right? If I look at median yeah. home prices across yeah. the nation, there's enough numbers in that to give me maybe meaningful information, except that all real estate is local. So that the median home price was down 2% or up 2% doesn't mean much to me in Cleveland, Ohio, all right, or Washington, exactly. D.C., or Los Altos, California. And so when, when it's a small universe of, of numbers, as it often is, it's one of my complaints about uh, a lot of the local newspapers show the median home price by zip code from week to week or from right. month to month. Right. Well, again, one sale can, can make uh, the difference there. So uh, there's more uh, news to come and then uh, more interpretation uh, of the news uh, when we come back. Also, we're going to play uh, Real Estate Trivia, and that's going to give you a chance to win a prize. If you've listened this far through all these headlines, some of which you've read, some of which you haven't, you deserve to win a prize. So stay with us. We're going to give away two prizes today on Real Estate Trivia. Next, you're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms, and if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits, the beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world, and why U.S. real Real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hi, I'm Robert Kiyosaki, and I encourage you to listen to those wild and crazy real estate guys. They're the best. They're working for years, and they know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in, however you do that, uh, on the radio, on your computer, on our website, uh, through iTunes. Uh, we want, want to make it easier for you to uh, hear our show and tell a friend. Make sure you let uh, them know what's uh, going on. This week, we just uh, kind of looked at all the headlines and thought there's just too much good news uh, out there. Let's read a little further into it, and then we're going to get into some of the rest of the news uh, as well. But first, it is time to play Real Estate Trivia. This is your chance to win a prize by knowing today's trivia question. As soon as you hear the question or know the answer, quickly send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com with your name and mailing address so we can send you your autographed copy of Equity Happens, Building Lifelong Wealth with Real Estate, our book on real estate investing. That can be yours. If you're the first person with the correct answer, that person gets a book. And then we take all the correct answers for the week and have a drawing for a second book. That is because some of you don't listen uh, live and we don't want to give advantage just to the live radio listeners. If you're listening on podcast, that's okay. We love you, too. You have a, a chance to win a, a book by uh, submitting uh, your email, and then we'll do a drawing out of all the correct answers. Now, some weeks, I'll tell you, there's only one or two correct answers, and then some weeks, there's like, you know, 700. So it just depends on the, the trivia question, and that's how it's going to work. Before we get to uh, this week's uh, trivia question, let's look at last week's uh, real estate uh, trivia question. Uh, we, uh, of course, did our show uh, from Austin, Texas, and asked, what's the official state fruit of Texas? It is the Texas Red Grapefruit. Yeah, that's the answer. Here's this week's uh, trivia question. As you're hearing all these uh, articles and all these uh, reporters, I know you're thinking, I wish they just put a cork in it. So here's my question. Which country is the largest producer of cork? 
Which country in the world is the largest producer of cork? And then how can we get some into the journalist's mouth? That's what we want to know. No. So which country is the largest producer of cork? Send your guests to uh, trivia at realestateguysradio.com. We're talking today about the rebound of the housing industry. Is it true? Is it for real? Well, let's look at what else is happening in the economy. I think we have to get uh, realistic about a couple of things. Uh, unemployment, certainly, and uh, and what's happening uh, in with the banks and with uh, resets and mortgages. Yeah, The uh, well, the mortgage thing is interesting because you know, mortgage rates are really, they were at record lows just a couple of weeks ago. They came up just slightly. And, you know, that just shows that people are still very much interested in investing in mortgages. Uh, and the government is still buying a lot of the mortgage-backed securities and propping that market up. And mortgage refinance applications are on the increase. People are getting off the fence and refinancing, even though purchased applications are down 13%. Right. So, but I think another thing too is on this whole uh, the whole unemployment thing. Jobless claims. Uh, the, these reports just came out recently, and it said that the Labor Department came out and said that the initial claims for jobless benefits had dropped by ten thousand to a seasonally adjusted four hundred and fifty three thousand. Uh, so you say, okay, that sounds pretty good, but the declines really came after huge increases. So again, it goes back to that compared to what, and they're still extremely high. So that's kind of the, there's a lot of good news, bad news in this particular headline. As um, are many of the people without jobs. Yeah, very high. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the thing about it is that if you don't have a job, it makes it very difficult to afford to pay rent or a housing payment. That's right. just, you know, all there is to it. The whole part about uh, debt uh, servicing your real estate becomes difficult without income. Well, I mean, that and that opens up a whole other thing with how many people are out there who are not making their mortgage payments and have found out that it's easier not to make the mortgage payment than it is to go find a place to rent because it's taking up to... 18 months for people for these lenders to foreclose on these houses and uh, how much of that is built into the stimulus of the economy i mean people who are not making mortgage payments what are they doing they're paying off debt we see debt levels coming down they're saving probably in preparation for knowing they're going to have to leave uh, they're buying new cars as we just found out so maybe they're thinking well and I, pickups yeah i'll be going to buy a bigger car because that could be my new house <laughs> you know <laughs> when i can't afford to make my house payment anymore but but you know really at the core of it when it comes down to real estate the issue really is employment especially residential real estate and unemployment uh it's risen to 9.9 percent in april from 9.7 percent the previous month so even though we added according to the the bureau of labor statistics here 290,000 jobs you say well i don't get that How, if we added 290,000 jobs shouldn't have that brought the unemployment rate down well, no, because what happened is there was a lot of people that don't get counted in that unemployment number right. that are sitting on the sideline that, that they're part of the class of people that gave up. So it's kind of in a twisted way, if they feel like there's maybe a job out and they come out and they start looking for a job, that's bullish. Even though the unemployment number went up, jobs went up, more people entered the labor force who were not previously counted. That's why you hear all the time, well, the unemployment rate is 9.9%, but the real unemployment rate is 17%, because that's the people who are underemployed or have given up. Yeah. And so there's a lot of different stuff in this number. But the bottom, I don't get that, given up. <laughs> I mean, at, at what point do you just say, well, I guess I'm never going to find a job. Luckily, I have plenty of monies to live the rest of my life. I mean, don't most people... Half at some point to get a job? Well, check it out. So 5.4 million people are receiving extended benefits paid for by the federal government. Oh, more stimulus. Exactly. Excellent. Congress added 73 weeks of extra benefits on top of the 26 provided by state. So do the math so more on than, that. So more than two years. Two years, yeah. More than two years. So there, it, it says, this article says, all told, and this is uh, AP, I think. Yeah, it's AP. All told, 9.8 million people received unemployment insurance in the week of May 15th. Yeah, I'd give up, too. Well, <laughs> 9.8 million people. That's a bunch. Being supported by really what is borrowing by the federal government. And so you look at the poor consumer who's out there desperately trying to get out of debt, you know, and we see the debt levels going down, but the government is putting them more in debt because they're spending the money through deficit spending at the federal level and then adding it to the tax bill in the future. So brand new babies born into debt, it's what you would call a conundrum, right? I mean, because you've got so many people out there right now that don't have work, they do have income, and at some point that income has got to stop and these people are going to have to get jobs. We have a lot of jobs that we have to create. So this is the kind of the yin and the yang, right? You look at these little temporary blips of, of hope and you say, okay, this is good. But is this economy truly creating 
sustainable jobs where people can really go back to work and have a permanent long-term position. And I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty there right now. All right. So obviously the job market's when we want to continue to watch. Now, a lot of what you've heard, uh, certainly in the real estate investment circles, has to do with the mortgage resets. We talked a little bit about rates and rates are still good and rates are low and, and just a little bit up from an all-time low. And so it's no surprise that we see a record number now, uh, recently anyway, of uh, people refinancing who have the credit to, to do so. Uh, but it's alarming. There's an article that came out that said 2010 mortgage resets are double that of 2008 when we had this this problem. Okay, so 2008's biggest month of mortgage resets was September of 2008 with $64 billion in resets. And of course, just to get everybody on the same page, a reset is when your mortgage rate changes and dramatically in many of these cases. So a lot of these early teaser rates that were 2% or a percent, a very low rate, all of a sudden they adjusted and some payments went up 40%, 50%, 100% in some cases. So when that happens, probably your income didn't double or go up 40%, so you've got a problem. All right, so uh, the monthly average for 2008 was $40 billion worth of resets. For 2010, the month projected for to be the biggest will be August uh, with $97 billion, and the 2010 monthly reset average $83 billion, or double the amount of mortgage resets on average for 2008. That's scary stuff. It is scary stuff. And, it, you know, so you, you again, look at what's going on where Freddie Mac and Fannie have been losing money. And the Fed has been in there buying securities to keep interest rates artificially low, trying to get these things refinanced. You have the HAMP program, which is the Making Homes Affordable Mortgage Program, which is supposed to work on the modification. There's a lot of things. Now, I wish I could say these things were working. Yeah, that one hasn't worked at all. But but they're not. They're not. A lot of the things they're doing, I mean, they're, they're, they're throwing everything at, you know, including the kitchen sink. But those resets are very, very concerning because when those things happen, you know, the people who took out those mortgages, typically it was a, a step loan. It was a 228. So it's two year, you're going to have this really great rate. And in the third year, it's going to go way up. But the goal was you'd either have equity and you'd refinance, fix your credit problem, or, you know, you'd sell the property. Today, you can't really do any of those things because the values aren't there, the lending programs aren't there, and people are in worse shape than they thought they were because the job they hoped they were going to get or the raise they hoped they were going to get, so on and on. So the big question really has to do with inventory. How much inventory is going to be coming into the market of people who are no longer going to be able to have those properties? How much is going to go back to the banks? And there's still, nobody has really been able to get their arms around quantifiably how many properties are there out there that are owned by the banks? How many are owned by investors, uh, meaning private investors that bought it and end up having to take the paper back? And how many are owned by speculators who are holding the properties right now but don't have anybody in them? Right. And there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of empty properties. And we also see what you talked about earlier in the show, which is that these foreclosures are taking longer. Some of that is just because of the sheer glut of the numbers and how understaffed these companies are and the servicers confusion and all that. And some of it is strategic. It doesn't make sense to flood the market with inventory and make the problem worse. And so they are holding them. Now, many of them are not admitting to doing that, but the numbers don't lie. When you look at the at the NODs filed and the process with the foreclosure and then track those, and people track these individual marketplaces waiting for that inventory to surface, and it takes months and sometimes more than that. Then you have the overlay of some of the programs in certain communities where there are programs like in Nevada, in the state of Nevada, there's a program where if you're uh, an owner-occupant and uh, you are facing foreclosure, there is the ability to have a mandatory mediation and you have to sit down face to face with your lender it's a great idea sit down face to face with your lender have a mediation the challenge is that it's administered by a government mediator and there is something like 4,000 people on the waiting list for mediations and they're doing less than 100 a month so do the math it's right. two or three years at the current rate unless they do something to fix it and what's the what why would they have incentive to add government employees to fix it unless we need jobs there right so it could be another two or three years before that property ever makes it onto the market yeah and and it, so it, it's kind of again it's a mixed bag it's good because the the properties are being metered into the marketplace uh, it's bad because you still are going to have a lot of downward pressure or at least at least a cap on on really where pricing could go and and it speaks to really the necessity of of, of deciding how you're going to invest and how you're going to make your money your property better cash flow 
you, you better have uh, you better have a plan. If there's a way for you to force some equity, do some rehab, do something to make it a little bit nicer. There's going to be a lot of competition out there. Uh, but the good news is, is if you're looking for deals, it looks like we're going to be in a market for the next two or three years where there's going to be a lot of deals coming into the market, both in terms of distressed paper and in terms of distressed properties. Absolutely. Now, our uh, final article, when we come back, we're going to give you some some ideas on what you really can and, and could be doing. Uh, there's an article here that says 92% of Americans are unhappy with the economy. Well, there you go. And <laughs> are you surprised? All right, we're going to come back and talk about uh, some of the things you might consider in this type of a market. If we're at the bottom, if we're not at the bottom, let's give uh, you some uh, actual techniques to use and some strategies to consider as uh, we are in still one of the best buyer's markets in history. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Hey, Russ, wake up. We've got a show to do. Huh? Oh, sorry. I was just having the most awesome dream. I found low-cost rental properties that cash flow in a strong job market with prices that didn't fall through the floor during this great recession. Wow, that is awesome. But you know, you don't have to dream to find a market like that. We're going on a field trip there in just a few weeks. Really? Where are we going? To Dallas, Texas. It's a huge market with great infrastructure and lots of people. Prices are low and rents are strong. And with today's low interest rates, properties cash flow great. And did you know Dallas is projected in the top three of all job markets for 2010? Plus, Texas is the number one rated state for doing business. That's amazing. When is it? That's the best part. It's up to you. We have several dates scheduled, so you can go when it's convenient for your schedule. No matter which weekend you pick, there'll be tours of different submarkets and property types and meetings with local experts, including developers, agents, and property managers. That sounds great. Well, hurry up and register because space on field trips is always limited. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events or call 888-GUYS-RADIO for more information. That's realestateguysradio.com or 888-GUYS-RADIO. Hi, this is Kendra Todd, winner of The Apprentice, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for uh, tuning in. We're talking about uh, what the news is uh, telling us about the housing market. Some is up, some is down. Uh, the big picture here is what are you going to do about it, right? So maybe we're we're getting near the bottom and in some markets we arguably are and other markets not yet. Uh, but as a real estate investor, you have to understand that all real estate is local and you have to understand the market that you're in. That's your mission. So reading the macro headlines is important to have that uh, information, but you You've got to distill that down into how are you going to take action. So we're going to spend the end of the show uh, here uh, talking about that. Our whole motto is education for effective action. So uh, what do you do? One thing I think is important is to not just sit on the sidelines saying, I'm just going to wait till it gets better and better and better. We know this right now, opportunity abounds. There are so many places to go, so many opportunities. In fact, as we go through these headlines, I was struck by the number of places telling you how well they were doing. They're spread all over the place. But marketplaces saying, hey, this is going on. It's looking good. We're going up. If you wait till all those good markets go up, you'll be left with the least markets. There'll still be opportunity. Why would you wait? Well, and that's the thing is that there are, you know, the, the, the people that try to market time never win. It's just right. there's one person that hits the absolute bottom of the market and one person that sells at the absolute top and everybody else missed it. So you got to get out of your mind that you are going to try to wait for sunnier days. This is arguably one of the best buyer's markets we will ever see in our lifetimes. And so you have to figure out how specifically to take advantage of that. There's so much psychology investing. You know, there's two primary emotions, greed and fear. And what happens when there's uncertainty is people who aren't paying attention, people who are casual about what they're doing, people who aren't plugged into uh, mentors and a group of people that uh, are like-minded peers that study and are serious about what they do, they wait to see what everybody else is going to do, and then they follow. And that is the worst thing you can do. What, what you have to learn to do is look at the facts for yourself, have your set of principles that you believe in, and begin to test to see if you can understand things and predict things and have a feel for where things are going. And the more you get right, the more your confidence will build. Because as your confidence as an investor will give you the ability to lead 
you know, or run, depending. I mean, you get out of the room before everybody else sees there's a fire or jump in, you know, before everybody else so that you can be there and ride, ride it up. So managing your psychology is huge. And then the other part of the psychology that I think is important, Bob, you made this comment earlier in the broadcast about consumer confidence. I was going to say, I think this is huge. It's the one we're talking about confidence here. It's not just what the general world feels about confidence, because that's important. That's going to help shift the markets. But it's your own confidence, which is the, the big part of this is you can learn to be confident in the face of adversity when everyone else is running, right? And that's a great skill to have. If you go with the herd, you're going to get a certain result. If you can break free from the herd, you're going to get a much different result. I like the expression that competence breeds confidence because it'll tell you, you got to do your homework. Like Russ said, get into this, figure out what works for you. As soon as you are competent, It'll be easy to be confident. Do you remember Warren Buffett buying Wells Fargo when all the bank stocks were in the toilet? Right. And he didn't buy all the bank stocks. He picked the one he felt was the best company. He studied it. Of course, you know, in hindsight, it was brilliant and he made a fortune. And so it goes back to that same thing. But he had to have the confidence to swim upstream. The other issue in confidence and the consumer confidence comment, Bob, that you made earlier that I think is important is, is uh, when consumers are confident, cash flows. And cash flow is really what's important in the economy. When, when cash stops flowing, the economy stagnates. Even though there's plenty of money out there, if it's not moving, I'm not going to spend money unless I'm confident someone is going to spend money with me. I'm not going to spend money if I'm not confident cash is going to flow to me in the form of a paycheck or profits in my business, right? And so one of the things we talk about real estate being geographic being regional. Confidence is geographic or regional. We get a chance to travel around and, you know, like Canada just raised their interest rates. They have not felt the the downturn as brutally as the United States has because their banking system, like we talk about in Belize and many of these other places, they didn't participate in the same type of uh, high leverage, high risk, high reward financial uh, speculation that our banking system did that has really created problems for the United States. We spent some time in Dallas, Texas. We were out there just a little while ago. We were talking to a gal, and she's like, well, this this recession, I mean, I, I've heard it's bad, but... It's not as bad as it was in the 80s. Yeah, the mentality of the people and, in that part of the world. And the rest of us were going, it's way worse. It's way worse. And this is not to discredit her at all. It's just in that marketplace. And, and come with us and see, because we're headed back to Dallas, and this is a very interesting market. We're sitting out having a, you know, a nice meal at a very busy restaurant, in a very busy area, looking around going... What, what recession? What recession? <laughs> exactly. And literally, the recession has not been felt there as much as other marketplaces. It's it's amazing to see. And you don't know that if you don't get out and see the world. You have to get to other marketplaces to really have a perspective. Right. And so in a marketplace like that, people are more prone to hire. People are more prone to spend. People are more prone to build. People are more prone to rent. And the economy is very different in a place where the vibe is more positive. And Texas and Dallas in particular is just a particular area that we've come to like because of that. And again, when you travel around a lot, and that's the thing, you can't, you don't get that. You can't read that. There's not like somebody who can give you a survey or something. And maybe you can, but the best way you go there. You go, we, I, what, we went in from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant in different neighborhoods. I mean, you could tell. Yeah, we just like to eat a lot. That's what I mean. Yeah, but, I mean, but you could tell what the economic demographic was and what the mood of the economy in the very sub-markets were simply by going around into the different business establishments in the area. And no, we, li- we literally went into four or five restaurants in a 20-minute period. Now, our students thought we were crazy, right? Part of it was because we had to find something everybody wanted to eat. But more so was, let's see what the climate is. Who's in here? What are they? How much are they spending? What's it feel like? What's the mood? And it will tell you a ton that you're never going to find in a million years on the Internet. The best way to find whether a market makes sense is to go to that market. Now, that's not just a shameless plug for our field trips coming up. We've got a couple of field trips coming up. Uh, still time to get into the Dallas field trips, both in June and July. Uh, also in July, we'll be going to Belize. But to be a student of real estate, you have to look at the way professional investors approach the marketplace. It's different 
than the moms and pops. Well, I go back to Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, of course, you know, not everybody's Warren Buffett, but when he goes to buy a company, he goes out and he looks at the business. He meets the management. He tours the facility. He understands the product. I mean, this is, you know, of course, I, he hasn't told this to me personally, but I've read this about him, about the way he goes about his investing. And so if you're going to be a professional real estate investor, you have to take a professional approach. And real estate is a big, physical, tangible thing. And most of us have enough sophistication when we look at it to get it. We know what a good neighborhood and a nice property looks like. So big picture is we know real estate across the country and across many countries is on sale. You know that there are going to be more people, not less people coming into the U.S., right? We're going to, we're, we're past 300 million, headed on our way to 400 million. There is property right now for sale in many key markets below replacement cost, in some cases significantly below, meaning you couldn't build something for the same price. If you're not sure if a market is headed up or down, what are some specific strategies? I think what Kendra Todd refers to as recession-resistant price levels. Yeah. Property that is starter inventory and below. Property that is great bread and butter rental property where it's not the very bottom of the marketplace because it's too transient there and vacancies and turnover will kill you, but where the average person with the average job can afford to rent. That's right. exactly what we look at when we go on our field trips. Where I mean, we could look at real pretty real estate and go, wow, this is really beautiful. It would be great to own it. But it always comes down to now let's look at the neighborhoods where we see the best class of tenants in terms of the durability of their income and the supply of those tenants to create the, the, the right kind of investment. So I think that's crucial. Also, you've got to have a long-term mindset. It is hard to be a flipper today. Right. Not impossible, but, but hard. It's interesting when we talk to Robert Kiyosaki how much he hates the whole flipper mentality because he's such a long-term uh, in cash flow investor. But it, you get hurt today. When properties were going up skyrocketing 20 30% a year, it was easy to do that business. A lot harder today. You can't, right now in this market, trying to flip without adding value doesn't work. Right. right, you can go in and buy a property that is is undervalued because it's mismanaged or because it's in poor condition, and then you can work hard and add value. That type of flipping you can get away with. But you know what I really feel like is the easy money right now is the long term buy and hold because you're buying uh, at really you have to say most of the downside is out. It may not be completely over, but most of it's out, and the cash flows are really good relative to the pricing. Interest rates are great, and over the long haul, that property is going to get paid off, and you're going to make money. Now, what does that look like? and what should your ROI be? That's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to have a great show next week. People say, well, what should I expect today with the market down, with the you know different uh, metrics going on? So next week, we're going to spend time, we haven't talked about this before, but determining a return on investment. What what could you expect today? Is this a 5% market, 10%? The places during 20%. What's reasonable? What risk versus reward? That's next week on the show. All right. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in. As always, tell a friend about the uh, Real Estate Guys. Send them to our website at realestateguysradio.com. Think about coming on a field trip with us. We're going to Dallas Texas. We're going to Belize. We'll be going to more places as well. It's a great way to uh, get to spend time with other investors and hang out with the real estate guys. We love meeting listeners. And uh, we'll show you markets uh, in ways probably other folks won't. Hey, thanks to our sponsors for supporting our program. We appreciate them. Big thanks to Mark Engineer today. And uh, to you, our listener, we'll see you next week on the Real Estate Guys radio program when we'll show you how some more equity can happen. If you're like me and thousands of others, you know that the Real Estate Guys radio show is a great source for quality content about investing in real estate. But did you know that they also have a book? I just finished reading their book, Equity Happens, and I was blown away by how much I learned. If you're ready to create sustainable wealth through real estate, you need to get Equity Happens. You'll learn, just as I did, about what it takes to prosper in the real estate industry. So don't wait. Make Equity Happen to you. Order your copy today at equityhappens.com.